Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. I'm doing fantastic. I had a nice Philly cheesesteak with uh, some uh, chili cheese fries for dinner. Um, wow. So I'm really living healthily and um, I'm doing great. Very exciting. That's, that's some, uh, you know, fall weather, some hearty food that you're getting there. No salads. <laughs> I respect the heck out of that. I love that. So our special guest tonight, since we have the JMU West Virginia game coming up, is Chase Kitty, who... I believe is the world's number one expert on all JV West Virginia sporting events. So Chase, welcome on. Thank you. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be back on the podcast. I did not have any chili cheese dogs tonight, but I did have a 20 ounce can of Mountain Dew and one and a half ruffles. So Woo. I heard no. Woo. One and a half. Wow. Expecting a long podcast yeah. here. In for the long haul. One could not do it. <laughs> <laughs> There's the extra half that really is the over the top. Very exciting stuff. So Chase, why don't you give us a quick rundown, I think most people who are listening will probably know it, of your background, sort of why you are an expert on West Virginia and JMU, and you can also, if you want, you can plug that article that you wrote, which you shared with us that was very good, and sort of gives a, a great picture um, and sort of summary of the, the upcoming game. Sure. Uh, I think the, the 10,000 feet view is that I, uh, my, my family moved around a lot when I was a kid, but sort of my formative years were spent in West Virginia, including some time directly in Morgantown in a suburb called Cheat Lake. Uh, when I moved to Virginia, I ended up going to JMU. I uh, worked at the Breeze. Uh, Bennett, you and I did not overlap at the Breeze because I'm a few years older than you. But we did both work at the Breeze. Uh, I was the sports editor a little bit later. You were the sports editor. Uh, I continued working in the media after that. I worked uh, as the sports editor for the Page News and Courier, which is a newspaper that's owned by uh, the Daily News Record and the company that owns the Daily News Record. Uh, and most recently, I have been involved with Hero Sports, 
uh, on the team with Sam Herter and Brian McLaughlin covering uh, national FBS football. So that's sort of my background. I've been a little bit all over the place. I also uh, am a content editor and editorial consultant for a site called West Virginia Sports Now. It used to be called Dumpy Nation. We actually just rebranded it as West Virginia Sports Now. Uh, and it's associated with some other media entities as well, which is why we rebranded them. So, and kind of straddling both ends here, and uh, whenever, you know, every five, six, or seven, or ten years when West Virginia and JMU decide to play each other in football, I I have for a long time now marketed myself sort of as you just did, Benedict, like in this one scenario, in this one hyper-specific instance, when these two teams play each other, I really don't think there's another person in the world that is dialed in to both schools as much as I am. So that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, I, try to, uh, I try to use my weirdly specific knowledge for good. I, uh, we had a piece that came out today, I wrote earlier in the week, uh, called JMU is not your average FCS school. That's on West Virginia Sports Now. It is about 1,500 words long, so it's a nice dive. Uh, really, it's more aimed at West Virginia fans, but I think there's some good information in there for JMU fans as well about who JMU is, why it's not just another FCS opponent. You know, I reference the fact that hey, this, the point spread for this game is like six points. West Virginia played Youngstown State last year. The point spread for that game was 34 points. So I, I felt like that was a good statistical indication of sort of the, the gap between maybe an average FCS team and a team that's JMU's caliber. I, I compare JMU to sort of a middle-tier American Athletics Conference team, and that's sort of the, the thesis of the piece, building out JMU as not this FCS team, but sort of this above-average G5 profile. And uh, I just, yeah, it's a good read. I'm biased, but it's a good read. It is a very good read. No, it's it's good, and I love your writing style. And you mentioned in there, I won't like spoil the whole piece, but you also talked about just like JMU as the university and sort of how many people go there, and you know the fact that it's got that reputation as like a party school, and it's you know it's it's not William and Mary coming in or something like that. So it's definitely a, a different school that West Virginia fans should should be aware of and excited for this game, which looks like. It should be pretty close. So, Jack, I'll kind of pivot things over to you. What are your expectations for the game? I know you just did do the first shameless plug here. I know you just did an article for us at JMU Sports News talking about sort of a game-by-game season prediction. So what are your expectations for this game? And then if you want to go a little bit into sort of the season expectations as well, go for that. Yeah, just jumping right into it, um, I'm all for that. But expectations for this game, I think, I mean, on paper, these two teams – it doesn't really look like a, your typical FCS, FBS matchup in terms of depth, in terms of talent. You could argue that JMU has better position groups at certain areas compared to West Virginia. And the fact that both of these teams are breaking in new coaches, it's it's going to be a fun, fun game. And I believe JMU has the capabilities to pull this out. I mean, looking back to last year's NC State game, and, and I would argue that NC State was a better team last season than this West Virginia team is. And it took NC State almost the entire – it took them 59 minutes to win that game. I mean – and so based off of that, I think JMU can go into Morgantown and pull the upset. I think it will be a nail-biter. I think it will come down to the end. But I think the depth that they kind of boast on the offensive line front – 
not so much as the on the defensive line front after a couple of injuries here in camp, but I still believe that they can pull it out. But I'm also really excited to see what Kurt Signetti and company do with their playbook because Houston kept it so run heavy in the NC State game and all of last season. So I'm excited to see if Signetti gets a little bit more aggressive in an FBS game that in all reality doesn't mean really anything to the Dukes. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a really interesting game. And I agree with a lot of the points you made. JMU isn't an average FCS team, but more than capable of winning this game. Um, I think we'll talk a little bit about the actual prediction, I guess, in a little bit. I, I think that we differ slightly on that, but we both think it's a game that um, is winnable for JMU. They have the pieces to do it. Like you mentioned, they have position groups where they are arguably better than West Virginia, which is rare for an FCS team. It's something that should be really interesting so chase what are your thoughts just initial thoughts on this game and sort of how jmu matches up with the mountaineers well i think my overriding thought is that it's really hard to know anything Uh, when you look at the fact that both schools have new coaching staffs and particularly on the west virginia side of things the way they're rebuilding the defense is a little funky, and it looks like at times they're going to play a really wild defense that looks like a 3-2-6. They're going to try to be unpredictable. They're using uh, defensive back. Uh, they're using defensive backs in a way I don't think I've ever seen before. It's really unique in a lot of ways. And I think that's partially to do with the personnel they inherited. They're just trying to find ways to use the skill sets of the guys that they have in the roster, which is admirable. Uh, but, but it is really hard for me, even if somebody that knows the roster really well, I've watched a lot of West Virginia games over the year, and now having watched a lot of 2018 Troy games, just to sort of figure out what the hell's going on over there, um, which is where Neil Brown came from, somebody that doesn't know. It's just kind of, it's kind of odd. It's, um, it's, my, my thought is that, like that said, there are certain position groups where I think Shane actually has an advantage starters versus starters. I think the defensive back comes to mind. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the defensive back for West Virginia is yeah. not impressed at all. <laughs> uh, they, they had a couple leaves through graduation. They had a couple transfer out. They had one or two just kind of quit. <laughs> 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 uh, we found out today that one player who transferred out of West Virginia, first of all, he transferred to Marshall, which, look, you, you're in control of your destiny, do whatever you want to do. Like, if you're a West Virginia player, then you've got a Marshall or Pitt. Yep. That's, uh, that's not a great look. Uh, <laughs> fans are not going to like that very much. Again, do whatever you want if you're like. We found out today that that particular player did not make. Uh, the starting lineup in the, in the uh, defensive backfield for Marshall. So there was some scornful words that I saw uh, share on social media. But it, yeah, the, the defensive back position at JMU is definitely better. I think the key to this game is West Virginia's defensive line because I think it's going to be the best positional group on the field for either team. And if they can find a way to bottle up the JMU running attack and pressure Ben Benucci, I think you're going to make JMU into a more one-dimensional team. Uh, but that can also play against West Virginia because if JMU's game plan is to come in with a lot of screen passes and a lot of short passes 
to the outside to sort of neutralize that defensive line. It's really, really parenting. When you're putting the game on your defensive backfield, I think that can be a recipe for disaster if it's not pitched. Right. You mentioned the defensive line. For the Jamie fans who don't know a lot about that West Virginia defensive line, they've got a couple beasts sort of in the interior of that defensive line. What should fans, Jamie fans, be looking for in that matchup, Jamie's offensive line versus West Virginia's defensive line? Well, looking mainly at the Stills brothers. Uh, junior Darius Stills and senior, uh, I'm sorry, junior Darius Stills and sophomore Donko Stills, uh, those are the guys that are absolute record balls on this defensive line. They were really good last year, too, but through the back end of the Dana Holderson era, West Virginia was running uh, this kind of funky defense that actually uh, West Virginia, uh, JMU, experimented with as well. It's called a 3 5 stack defense. And it, it's, it's a great defense when you know how to use it, but one of the things it's predicated on is having a really good nose tackle. And West Virginia has been really inconsistent with being able to find a good nose tackle, which is why teams like Oklahoma ran for like 12 yards per carry on them because they <laughs> right. just shredded on the front end. Well, they're getting away from that with your coaching staff. You're going to see a bigger and more aggressive defensive front. And the two dudes that are really going to make that go are the Stills brothers, uh, Dante and Darius. And I, I think they're just supremely athletic for their size. Uh, it's just there's not a lot of guys like them that can do what they do. And... Uh, you know, Mickey Matthews, I've said this a million times, but Mickey Matthews once told me, now God made plenty of defensive tackles, but he only made so many defensive ends. And it's, it's kind of one of those scenarios. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, you got to... I still laugh about that. It was like eight years ago. Um, That's a classic Mickey Matthews quote. It's like, it's like a classic Mickey Matthews syllogism. Yeah, uh, it's just... That's, I think, where the game is going to be won and lost. And it's an interesting dynamic because on the one hand, you know what you're getting with West Virginia's defensive line. It's going to be really, really good. On the other hand, we're not really sure what JMU's offensive line is going to look like. We're pretty sure we're going to know who the players are, who's going to start, and what order they're going to be in. But we've never really been able to get a good grip on what this offensive line's problem has been since they're 20 graduated with the NFL. Yeah, to kind of piggyback on that offensive line point, like, I wrote about it, shameless plug, in the week-by-week prediction. There is just so many question marks on the offensive line. They struggled a lot last season, and everyone's talking about how they bring back so much experience this year, but they weren't amazing last year. Right, yeah, I mean, I think that's an important point is that they are really experienced, but last year they were kind of lackluster for what people expected out of this team and rushing the football, and Jack, you mentioned it in our outline a little bit. Um, do you think that the Dukes need to really commit to the run, because that's something Signetti has talked about a lot, they're a lot. obviously going to do that in conference play, and they're you know going to do that against FCS teams. Do you think that they can, can do that against West Virginia and win if they really, really commit to the run and, and focus on handing the ball off, or should they maybe give Danucci a little bit more free reign than they might normally and, and air it out a little more. I have pretty um a pretty like hard opinion on this one. I I I think the way Signetti's talking about establishing the run for this season kind of scares me. 
because it's kind it it seems like he's he wants to instill the run even more than Mike Houston wanted to last season, and it, it did kind of fall back onto the offensive line. And last year, it seemed like the running backs never really found their feet when they got to like the meat of conference play. But if he's so set on establishing the run, I think it kind of negates what you have in Ben DiNucci as well. And I think you shouldn't pat. I think Signetti wants to run to set up the pass, but I think, especially in this West Virginia game, you need to pass to set up the run. Chase, what are your thoughts on that? Um, the thing that I always appreciated about Mike Houston's approach to football was that he was all about balance. Like he, he wanted to establish the run. He was very clear on that. But it was also all about balance. He never wanted to make one player start. He never wanted to run piece of the offense to be a focal point. And I always thought that was a really smart way to approach the game. Um, so if that's the approach here with Tignetti, if, you know, in whatever language he wants to couch that in, if that's his true approach when you strip away all the semiotics and all the bullshit, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, if because, you know, half of this is a guessing game. I'm just like, well, this is what I'm going to tell the media today. I've been on those practice fields. You guys have been on those practice fields. You never know what is actually going on in terms of what is being said to you by players and coaches. Uh-huh. If, if they want to establish the run, that's fine. But it feels to me, particularly in this specific game, that you're going to win the game by passing the ball. Whatever you have to do to pass the ball, effectively do it. But that's going to be the key. And uh, I, I don't know. That's, that's where I feel like they're at. They're going to have to pass the ball effectively to win. And they just got to do whatever they need to do to accomplish that. Whether that's establishing the run, whether it's abandoning the run, I don't know. But they got to pass the ball and they can't turn the ball over for so much Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that. You know, Kurt Signetti has been coaching football for decades. Like, he's not an idiot. He's not going to run the ball 30 consecutive times for two-yard gains and then punts. Like, if it's not working, they're going to throw the ball. So I think that he's going to try to run the ball. He's got three or four running backs that he really likes. I think from my perspective, you have two that you should really like. I don't know how much Solomon Van Horst in this game or, or even Austin Douglas is going to really succeed um, against West Virginia. But I think the first two, Juwan Hamilton... <laughs> And then Percy Ajayobe will be there. You go, you got very it. Very good. <laughs> yeah, that was nerve wracking, but <laughs> I got through it. I think that they'll be pretty solid options. Um, a lot of it depends on the offensive line. It doesn't really matter how good the running back is if they don't have any holes. It's it's hard to be a good running back. So if the offensive line is creating some gaps, yeah, they'll run the ball. But if they're not, I think they feel confident in the fact that Danucci can scramble, can make plays that they need to rely on him. I do think they think. They can rely on him and trust him to win them the game. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what they do. And Trace, I think you mentioned earlier where it's a guessing game because it's new staffs. We don't really know what to expect. First game of the season, and you're right, like what they're they're not going to give the media their game plan. So we don't really know at this point what exactly will happen. But what do you guys see? And Jack, let's start with you. What do you guys see as keys to this game? We talked about it a little bit, but what are some of the maybe like two or three keys that you can take inside this game? You chase kind of touched on it with the passing attack and limiting turnovers. This kind of goes into what I've been saying all summer with Ben DiNucci. I think DiNucci just needs to, this game will be huge for him going into the season just because if he can get his, sw- his quote unquote swagger back almost in this game, 
I think he's set for the rest of the season. So that's a key to the full season. But key to this game, yeah, the passing game, really open it up and take advantage of West Virginia's defensive backs. Make them, make them work. I mean, you have guys that are speedsters on the outside. I mean, you have Brandon Polk, the, the Penn State transfer, who seems to be settling in quite nicely. And you have Kendall Dean, Josh Sims, all of them on the outside. And then put them on the inside. You have a tight end where the two deep, you're sitting there scratching your head talking about two guys who aren't on the two deep in Carlton and Cheatham. So it's just a question of pick your poison. And I think through the air, that's where they're going to have to do it. Because I think West Virginia will just pure size in what they bring on that D-line can eat up the offensive line of the of JMU. And I don't think really Percy or Jawan can really get much going on the ground. But I think with Danucci's decision-making that I hope is a little better and he doesn't throw five interceptions in this game, I think this team can tear it up through the air. But that oh, coming back to the passing game, and the O-line holding blocks. But that's going to be a key to every game this season, so I didn't bring it up to start. Of course, of course. Chase, what do you think of the keys? Uh, I think, you know, like we said, there's so many unknowns. I could pick almost anything. But I think I would be remiss if I didn't at least spend a minute talking about the quarterbacks here because I think the quarterbacks are really important in this game even more than they would be in most games. Danucci uh, is coming off of a season and we've gone over this a hundred times. Danucci had a very good season in 2018, and all anybody ever talked about is two games, right? <laughs> yes. They talked about the New Hampshire game, and they talked about the Colgate game. He made mistakes throughout the year, but we, we all remember two games. And that's not really fair to him. And, you know, I was fortunate in that I'm in Richmond now. I moved to June. That was in Harrisonburg last year. I got to cover the team, you know, almost every day. I went to all kinds of practices. I talked to them all the time. And he was, he's a smart guy because he knows how to talk to the media. He knows what he's supposed to say. Um, so most of the time, he said what he's supposed to say. We got kind of to read between the lines. So when I talked to him and I talked to Johnny Kirkpatrick after that New Hampshire week, you could tell that there was a little bit less air in the room, that, that he was a little down, he was a little bumped down, he was, he was being a good sport about it, but you could tell he was down. I think if he comes out and is he's put 2018 behind him, I think he could really do something here this weekend. If he comes out and he understands what Mike Houston was always trying to call him, what Donnie Patrick was always trying to call him, and now what Kirk Vincetti is trying to call him. <laughs> that he does not have to go win the game by himself. He has the most talented, pure talented team in FBS football around him. Just do what you need to do. Be East and Six. You don't have to win the game. Just don't lose the game. No? That's all you have to do. If he understands that this year, they have a real shot at beating West Virginia, and they have a real shot at the national title. I think when you flip to the other side of the ball, or when you look at West Virginia's offense, JMU is almost always competitive in these FBS games. The key that I think of in the last few years that where they really weren't in it toward the end was when West Virginia closed them in 2012, and when North Carolina played them in 2016, that game got a hand after that time. Mm-hmm. This is something I talked about 
do my solo segment on my yep. podcast the minute you were kind enough to come on. JMU uh, does really well when they play conservative FBS When they play really high-level quarterbacks that want to score a lot of points, like Mitch Trubisky in 2015 and Geno Smith in 2012, that's when the game can get out of hand, and they lost by like a combined 56 points in those two games. If Austin Kendall comes out in his first game with West Virginia and throws for 400 yards, this is not going to happen. It's over. You know? But if the game plan is to be a little bit more conservative because it's a whole new regime and Morgan has new quarterback, you know, new staff, new coach, new everything, if, if they want to be conservative, that's a huge mark in favor of Jamie. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, just the quality of FBS quarterbacks that the Dukes have gone up against and how they've done a pretty good job. You even look last year when they had a little bit of a, a better secondary than they did in 2016, or at least a more experience than the early 2016. They did a pretty decent job of just holding NC State to 24 points. You look at Ryan Finley, kind of had his way on third down, and he's NFL quarterback was drafted in the fourth round. It's been pretty good um, in the preseason so far this year. I think he's been since um, but he's been solid. But you look at just how they do when they're going up a guy against guys that maybe aren't playing at that elite level, and they're, you're right, they're always competitive in those games. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see how Austin Kendall does because he's obviously very talented, comes from Oklahoma. I think, I forget who you had on your, your podcast, but the guy with the West Virginia Ties mentioned, you know, he had terrible luck. He's sitting behind, like, two high-winning quarterbacks, like, incredibly rare to do that. So he transfers into West Virginia really talented dude, but what's he going to do in the first game? And I think that's what's sort of the major question here. It takes him a few games to get rolling and sort of figure out Neil Brown's scheme and how that's going to work in games. And JMU does have a chance to sort of go in there in the Neil Brown era and steal one because I think he's going to make them a very, very good program and a competitive team in years to come. And I think JMU sort of gets lucky where they get to slide in here in this weird little gap where West Virginia's down some guys in the secondary first game under a new coach, and you kind of hope you can steal one on them. So I think it's very possible. I don't know if they'll get it done, but I feel like we can segue here into predictions. We'll have Jack, you go first. I know you sort of shared it in your uh, your week-by-week prediction segment, but what do you think ends up happening in this game? I think JMU can pull this one out. Um, I forgot the exact score I predicted in my week by week, but those were just kind of winging it because who even knows. But I think it's a close game, and I don't think it's high scoring, mainly because if it gets high scoring, like Chase said in the UNC game and the West Virginia game in 2012, it once it gets high scoring, JMU just can't keep up. Like The second they start rolling off touchdowns, JMU just can't put them up to like come back with it. So in order for JMU to win, they have to keep the score low and kind of just – this goes against everything I was saying earlier on in the podcast. But they have to <laughs> – I feel stupid now saying it. But they have, to, they have to establish their own run to maintain the clock, to keep the ball out of West Virginia's hands. If they can open up like a three-point lead or a touchdown lead and then all of a sudden they have the ball more, they're running it, and they're getting good runs on first and second down and they're not getting into third downs – this is a lot of things that have to go right for JMU as I'm saying all of this, but I believe that JMU can eke out a win that'll come down to the wire and they, they pull the week one upset. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely possible. Chase, what do you have in this, this game? I know you 
mentioned it on your podcast and in uh, the West Virginia article you wrote, but for those who haven't seen it, what do you think happens in this game? I have West Virginia winning 34-24 in a game that looks a lot like the NC State game last year. I think this will be a game into the fourth quarter. I think uh, the crowd will maybe be getting a little antsy because West Virginia fans are not known for their uh, patience or temperament. I do. I think this will be a game late. I think West Virginia will be up three or four points. Uh, and, and I think they get a late score to sort of push this into cover the spread territory. But I think that, you know, if you're one who believes in moral victories, I think you're going to see that JMU has the talent and the roster and the coaching staff, you know, whatever, 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 all of the recipe they need to go on another deep playoff run and really challenge for a national title for the first time in uh, three years. Well, not for years, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think we'll be close, but I think West Virginia won. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I oh, man, I'm in the minority final, here? Jeez. You are. My final projection, I think, is West Virginia 27, JMU 21. So kind of like hanging right around what the current spread is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that JMU can certainly win this game. I just, there's some so many questions is, is maybe an overstatement, but there are some questions in terms of JMU's offensive line, uh, the Diducci turnovers, that sort of thing that I just have a really hard time picking JMU, even though I do think they're capable of winning. Um, so I say it's a six-point win for West Virginia. I think it'll go down to the wire. I think, Chase, you mentioned this, I think, on on your podcast. Maybe JMU gets like an early first-half lead, which is very similar to sort of what happened in the NC State game where they got up 7 nothing and then gave up some points. Uh, before rallying back and almost tying the game up. But, yeah, I think that it's going to be a, a good game. I think it's going to be competitive, fun to watch, and it's certainly not your typical FCS-FBS matchup, which makes it really enjoyable to watch. And I think fans for JMU should savor this one before two really boring games, and then you'll get some, some interesting road contests after that. So the first three weeks for JMU are kind of weird. With the West Virginia, you got the two FCS snoozers, at home, but the good news is there's beer at Bridgeforce, so you can get you know, some some beers to enjoy the incredibly warming football, and then you road contest before Villanova comes to town for some real real home action uh, in October. So in terms of the Dukes moving forward, we talked some about some of their strengths. Is there a weak point you guys think that West Virginia can really take advantage of in this game? I know the Dukes said Pretty much every position group are pretty good, but is there an area, and Chase, we're going to start with you this time, is there an area you think West Virginia uh, can really pick on? I don't love Kansas safety. Mm-hmm. I think individually, and look, maybe I'm just spoiled by Raven Jordan, who I think looks on the Maybe the two greatest safeties that ever play a JMU and they play together at the same time on the same unit. Maybe, maybe it was a little better, but the safeties the game has are good. They're good players. It's just something about, I feel like, the, the way they play together, maybe. I know, when I watched the film, it just feels like they are merely above average. And, and I'm saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it is true when you look at the standard for individual talent at JMU, it's really, really high. And I, I, I feel like you know, D'Angelo Ramos, he's a great safety. I think he's better as a 
Uh, I think Adam Smith is okay. Um, every time I say that, I think of the Wealth of Nations and Mr. Douglas is eighth grade from Sturgis class. But, like, uh, you know, I think you can attack JMU deep down the field, particularly if you catch one of the safeties in one-on-one coverage or a little zone or something. You can go after him. So I wonder, because historically that has played into West Virginia's skill set, I wonder if that's part of the game plan is to keep them off balance by maybe going deep more than they might otherwise against the other team. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I don't think people talk about that enough because I think there is, kind of like you mentioned, there's this idea with Amos that because of his kick returning, I think people almost inflate what he does as a safety. He's obviously not a bad safety, but I do think people sort of maybe overestimate his defensive ability just because he's such an electric punt returner. Uh, so, Jack, what are your weak points for JMU? I'm going to stay in the secondary, actually. And the place that I've, I just keep coming back to, it's going to be the cornerback two position. We all know what Rashad does. Rashad's amazing. And last year we were talking about if he was going to be the highest drafted Duke ever. I mean, and then tears or did whatever he did and was or turf, whatever it was, then was out for season. All of a sudden, Jimmy Moreland becomes the all time interception leader, blah, blah, blah. Like that was going to be Rashad last season. And now he's here again. And JMU's very lucky to have two cornerbacks like that. It's like they're not even losing a Jimmy Moreland type. But just on a side tangent, how cool would it have been? To see Rashad and Jimmy at their heights last season, that would have been unstoppable. But <laughs> going back to the weakness, it's the cornerback too. Rashad's going to shut down whoever comes his way, and a majority of the passes are going to go wherever Rashad isn't. So that's going to be testing Wesley McCormick. It's going to be testing Tut. And looking at the two deep, Willie Drew, the redshirt freshman, is going to get tested probably a lot whenever he comes in. Just because Rashad's going to shut down whoever they're on, so... That cornerback two and the slot corner, nickel, all of that good stuff are really going to be tested. And I, and I kind of worry about, especially a West Virginia team, are they going to key in on that? And like the safeties could maybe go over the top, but also maybe focus in on more of the corners who aren't as experienced. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, definitely some questions in the secondary. I'll sort of pivot and go to the offense. I have some questions not for the season, but just for this game about the wide receiver position without Stapleton. Mm -hmm. I think that, I don't know, I just have a hard time seeing, I know that West Virginia's secondary is sort of the weakness that everyone is is pinpointing going into this game. I think Kendall Dean's a really good player. I think that Jake Brown's a really good receiver. I think Polk's going to be pretty good. It's just we haven't seen a ton of any of them to the point where it's, I don't know that they're, going to dominate this game like I think Riley Stapleton could, because we've seen Riley bail out so many quarterbacks uh, where they're sort of struggling or not doing all that well, especially if the run game doesn't work. And I think, Chase, you mentioned this in your podcast where JMU sort of looks human almost, or maybe it's your article where they look more beatable when they don't run the ball well, and you can sort of look at the Weber State game when Jamie wasn't all that intimidating and sort of pulled one out late. Stapleton was absolutely huge in that game. Brian Shore would just throw the ball up. Stapleton would make a play. I don't think they win that game without Stapleton. And I think it could play out a little bit similarly where Danucci's sort of looking for someone to bail him out as a running game might not be great with West Virginia's defensive line. And I just, I don't know who's going to bail him out. Like, he's got really good receivers. I think by the end of the season, 
with more experience under their belt, they're all going to be playing well, and Stapleton will be back. I think that's sort of when JMU is, is primed and ready to make a playoff push. And they've got their roster at full strength. Um, everyone's got a few games under their belt. They've been tested a little bit. I'm just concerned about what they have at wide receiver going into this game without Stapleton. I don't know that they have a guy that can sort of take over the game. Um, I think that puts a lot of pressure on Danucci. If the running game isn't going all that well, I think Danucci's going to have a scramble. He's going to have to sort of throw some guys open uh, and make some plays, you know, in the this read option game, stuff like that. And I think that's kind of a, a big ask for him. I think he can do it, but it's, it's a bit of a challenge. So I'll say the receivers just in this game, but also, you know, there's a chance that Polk goes out and plays out of his mind. So don't really know what to expect from him, but we'll, we'll learn soon enough. Just a few days away. Also, with those, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, with those receivers too, which you're missing out not only with Stapleton and his just experience and ability to bail out his QB, but his height. Look, the tallest receiver is six two, with Kendall Dean and um, Adu, and then look at their weight six two one eighty for both of them. So, just on that front, you don't have the biggest guys out there like Riley Stapleton is athletic and is a big guy. Right. He's also a monster in the running game just as a blocker. Yeah. He can, he can really lock some guys up and, and knock them around, and that's something that people, um, I'm, I'm assuming most casual fans aren't watching like wide receivers run block, which is probably a good thing because it's a very <laughs> weird way to like consume the game. Um, but it is an important part of what's going on, and I think that he does a good job at that. So it's, it's the thing that most people have mentioned but sort of in passing. Um, that they don't have Stapleton, and I do think that that does hurt them significantly in this game. And a question, kind of, for both of you guys. I kind of brought it up earlier with the tight end two deep came out. It's Dylan Stapleton and Drew Painter, two guys that six five six four, both above two forty. Do you think that tight end position, the two deep, do we see? Do you think that'll change a lot through the season? Like they're throwing these bigger guys in to start this game because they might need the offensive line help and bigger guys to kind of go on the end and get some chip blocks in? or And do you think maybe Cheatham and Carlton will find their way into that too deep as the season goes on, maybe in a more finesse game? Or do you think those are kind of the lead guys? I know it's hard to answer, though, since none of us have been at uh, practices so far. Yeah, I think that... Stapleton kind of makes sense as the lead guy. I think I expected Cheeto maybe to be at the two. I don't know if he's missed time. I can't remember from what I've seen from Greg Medea's reports or not. Um, apparently, Painter's been pretty solid, though. I think he's a pretty good blocker and has good size and has transitioned nicely. Um, but yeah, I definitely expected Cheeto and Carlton to sort of maybe be ahead of Painter. I'm definitely a little bit surprised by that, but not surprised by Stapleton and one. I imagine that if Cheeto and Carlton are healthy, they feel pretty comfortable working them in. You know, when, when Clayton's healthy, he's way too valuable not to use some capacity. So. True. Very true. <laughs> All right, what else we got on this bad boy? All right, so we were talking about Tanucci. Can, can I say, can yeah, I say something up you guys? Yes. You know, I was thinking about this today and in a couple, you know, the last couple of days. And, I, you know, because I'm reporter in, in the media, I, I try to ask myself questions that maybe other JVU people would ask. So this is why I've been kicking around with myself recently. Uh, is JMU overrated? And, and I don't mean 
they shouldn't be number one in, in the polls this preseason because I absolutely think they should. But we, you know, we all the time the last couple of years have said stuff like, you know, JMU is North Dakota State, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do we deserve to be <laughs> in the front of that tent with North Dakota State? I, I'm just asking. I, I'm not saying we don't, but it doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't feel like a rock. Like, we won one national championship in the last 10 years, and they won, like, seven. <laughs> that's a so really... I no, that's a really good point. I kind of think of that as well, but at the same time, the way they dominate the, I, it just feels like they dominate the competition, and what they did with Houston, especially in the CAA, which is arguably one of the top conferences in the FCS, and they had what two losses in the CAA during, or one loss during Houston's tenure. I, I think that's where it kind of gets where like the, we're. JMU's building something. I think, going off of that, I think JMU's tremendously overrated, honestly. I think JMU fans don't view themselves on the same level as, like, Eastern Washington, but they are. Like, I think they view themselves as North Dakota State and JMU, but I just don't know that that's really true. I think they're very good, and the program is building something. I totally agree that they've done some really great things under Houston, but they were 9-4 and four last year. And after the first, like, five games, they were bad. Like, they just weren't very good. And I think people sort of just assume that they're good because they've got some massive victories. I mean, they put up 70-plus points or whatever, more than you would have expected um, in the last few years. They score a lot of points. Defense is good. They've got guys in the NFL. But part of it is that JMU's got a really big fan base. So it makes it seem like, at least in my opinion, that JMU, the team is better than they are. Because there's a lot of content and talk and chatter about JMU, and I think that that sort of rivals North Dakota State's like talk and chatter online. And I think that programs like Eastern Washington, while I definitely have some people that are talking about them, I think it's it's maybe not at the same level. So I do think there's an element of of being overrated. I know there are some JMU fans that think they're going to go in here and just you know take it to West Virginia and. It, like it wouldn't be an upset. I don't think that's really true. I do think it would be an upset. And I do think that JMU is capable of losing a few games this year. And it's a big season for this, like, is JMU overrated or underrated? Or where is JMU on a national level? So I think there's this idea that North Dakota State at this point is very vulnerable. I think it's it's sort of true. They're, you know, true fresh or redshirt freshman quarterback, a new coach, got some turnover there, so they are a little bit beatable. But let's say JMU goes out with this same roster and posts a season similar to last year, where they lose maybe two or three regular season games, and let's say they lose in like the quarterfinals. Then I think the view on JMU's program is very different than if JMU goes out this year and makes it to Frisco. And I think JMU can make it to Frisco. I think they're a very good program. They've got a lot of things going for it. But yeah, there's this idea among like the JMU community that it's like JMU and North Dakota State like Chase you were sort of alluding to and I just don't think that's true like they've won one national championship like you said in the last few years they made another national championship probably should have won that game but they didn't in North Dakota State um, last year if they would have gotten by Colby and played in the Fargo Dome I think they probably would have gotten crushed uh, at least a few touchdowns I just don't think they would have 
mentally been in the right place with all the Houston drama and the fact that they would have somehow survived Benanucci's five interceptions. So I think that JMU is one of the top programs in the FCS, but I just, it's not at North Dakota State level right now. I think it's closer to like Eastern Washington. I do think teams like UC Davis are even on that level. And I don't know, I mean, you can play the what if game, but like what if JMU loses to Weber State in a game they very easily could have lost in the FCS quarters two years ago? I don't know. I just don't know that JMU is as dominant as people think. The, yeah, the what if game is fun going through that. I think you're talking about the difference between potential energy and kinetic energy, right? Right. Jeremy you have all the potential in the world. I think everybody sees that. The ceiling is astronomically high. Uh, but the reality, I think, if you strip away the context, if you strip away all of the sort of fanfare around the game, is that JMU had an elite two years. They had a couple of really good classes. They had a really good coach, and they went to back-to-back national championships, and they were one-and-one in those games. They won one, they lost one. Like, so, Bennett, to your point, this is a critical year. If you are a JMU person who wants to prove that, yeah, there is this upper echelon, there's two teams, and it's maybe three, then, you know, it's put up a shut-up time, and it doesn't matter if we have a first-year coach and a new staff and, and all that. That doesn't matter. You're in this level. You don't go nine and four and go out in the second round of the playoffs. You don't do that. I don't care what the reasoning or the rationale or the, or the distraction for. So I need I need to see it this year, or I think this fan base has to radically reconsider its own self image. I like that question. I love that question. question. That might come up Jack again. And were, <laughs> Jack and I were chatting last week. Um, and Chase would be interested to hear your perspective. Just sort of is like the North Dakota State reign close to coming to an end? Because I feel like teams and fan bases feel like this year there's this opening with a new coach and young quarterback and even some you know North Dakota State media members when they're projecting the record have you know the Bison losing one or two games and fans are like, oh maybe this is the year. Do you think that? the rain will eventually come to an end and also what would it take for you to say that the rain has ended how many years does North Dakota State have to go you know without a national championship or something like that for you to say that it's there's more parity I guess across FCS football definitely the how long would you have to see a lower level of play from them before you declare it's over. That's a question we talked about on the uh, on the Hero Sports Podcast last year, me and Brian and Sam. Um, I do think North Dakota State's really vulnerable this year, uh, just because you know I, I don't care that you won the last two national championships and you lose twenty five hundred players in your coaching staff leave. Right. Like I, I don't. I don't care that you reload and have an awesome walk-on program. And all that's true. And, like, you know, I talk to people in federal all the time. They know I have just the absolute most respect that a person could possibly have for their program. It's ridiculous what they have done. It's probably, it might be the greatest dynasty in the history of college football. Like, it's so stupid what they've done, okay? <laughs> but, you, you eventually... You come out of that. And I just don't see 
how, like, when I talk to Fargo people, I had Brian and Sam on my podcast last week and we talked about this. When Fargo people are like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll be amazing again this year and go 15 and 0 and win the national championship, North Dakota State might win the national championship. It's not going to be as good as it was last year. But that's insulting to last year's team to even suggest that. So, it, I, I, I do think they're vulnerable. I kind of like Eastern Washington this year. Obviously, I think JMU's really good, too. But I think, you know, I, I said last week on, on the pod with Brian and Sam, if JMU exits the playoffs, I think I know what that looks like. If North Dakota State exits the playoffs, I think I know what that looks like. I'm struggling to think what an Eastern Washington playoff exit looks like because I think the floor with them is higher than everybody else, including JMU. I think the ceiling is highest with JMU, but I think the floor is higher with Eastern Washington. So they're a good bet. Uh, Yeah, I just, I don't know that North Dakota State is going to be that team this year, just like JMU had that drop-off with the massive class last year. And, I mean, I would need to see it for a couple years. I would need to see them down for a few years just because they've been good so long. I like that. Jack, what do you think about that question? Uh, kind of really what Chase said. You have to see them. They've been up forever. Like, granted, if they go, it'll never happen. But say they have one win this year, then you can kind of be like, all right, maybe it's out of the question. But we know that won't happen. We know they'll lose maybe one or two games and have a playoff run. Maybe they don't win it. But as long as they're a contender and a real threat. I've like this year there's still a real threat when you ask people who they think is going to win the national championship. The go-to answers are normally North Dakota State and JMU and Eastern Washington is thrown in there. UC Davis sometimes is thrown in there, but it's always North Dakota State. So I think as long as they're in that breath, I think you can't really say their dynasty's over. So I think it'll it'll take a lot for them to to go away just because now the way the FCS is set up and everything like that, I think they're set up for the long haul. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that you've got to see it for a little bit. I mean, like when JMU knocked off North Dakota State uh, back in 2016, I don't think anybody watched that game and then watched JMU win the national championship. I was like, wow, North Dakota State's done. Like nobody thought that that was the end of anything. It was just they happened to beat them and they happened to, then of course meet the next year and and Jamie got bested so North Dakota State I don't think they're really going anywhere but yeah they are a little more vulnerable this year but that that doesn't really mean that the dynasty so to speak or the the reign of terror if you want to feel like that (laughs) is really over either alright so let's do some bold season predictions before we get into Twitter questions we had a few Twitter questions which is a huge change of pace for us that was amazing well we were talking about it we were talking about it before we recorded and we were like we said last year when we started the podcast, we had about 200 followers on Twitter. And so whenever we would ask a question, we'd get crickets back or we'd be like, can, can someone ask us a question? And no one would. Or it would be like our parents or a friend of ours just saying like, hi. And now we, we have like 800 some followers and people actually like to interact with us on Twitter. So now we actually got questions that I'm really excited to get to because they're also very, very good questions that I think we'll all have awesome uh, input on. But first, yes, the bold season predictions, the best part, because this is when we come back at the end of the football season and we laugh at just how utterly wrong we were. Yeah, this is sort of 
specialize here on this podcast that make this giving some really hot takes that we sort of maneuver a way to make them sound reasonable and then like three months later we try to pretend we didn't make them so i'm i'm really excited about this i would like to start off with one bold prediction i'm gonna say I don't know how bold it really is, but I'm going to say that Ben DiNucci wins CAA Offensive Player of the Year this season. Wow, way to just take my bold prediction. Jeez. Yeah. I'm on the noob's train. Yeah. Chase, do you have any crazy ones or bold ones, I should say? Uh, Can you give me like 10 more seconds? Yeah, of course. Why why don't you go, Jack? Yeah, well, uh, Chase is thinking, um, since Bennett took mine, I'm going to kind of Taylor and say Percy is going to win uh, CAA co-offensive player of the year with Danucci. Um, and one that's kind of further down the road that we won't see at the end of the football season. But I believe Rashad Robinson, when it comes to the NFL draft, will become the highest drafted Duke of all time. I like that one. Um, well, since you guys are talking about Players of the Year. I don't, can I take Megan Good as CA Player of the Year? Is that an option? That'd be extremely extremely bold. <laughs> we are doing bold predictions, right? Yeah, that's a bold one for sure. Now, uh, how about JMU? I don't know how bold this is. It's more just a prediction, but I have another one that'll follow it that'll knock your socks off. <laughs> Really I don't, my socks are already off. You said Megan Good, CAA yeah, Player of the Year. Socks on. Uh, prediction one: JMU will play Maine in in the FCS playoffs. Wow. Okay. I like it. Prediction number two: JMU will need to hire a new head coach in the next offseason. Ooh. I like that one. That's Any? What's the re? What? What? What's your thinking behind that one? Signetti gets fired after a lackluster season. Signetti <laughs> gets hired by somebody else. Ah, Cignetti okay. Signetti gets, <laughs> gets canned week three after you know a couple, a couple kind of losses. They start the year off three. Massive offensive explosion from Norfolk State puts a good head coach in jeopardy. <laughs> I think I was a little disappointed when they announced this is sort of an aside when they announced the Nevada Zone um, color commentators this year and they didn't have the Norfolk State guys. <laughs> I, they, I thought they'd be pretty good guest announcers, but I don't know, next year. Talking about MEAC schools, I just want to throw this out there. We'll probably talk about it a little bit next week. But Morgan State has someone on their schedule that isn't even a part of the NCAA and they just have 85 undergrads. Just throwing that out there. That's allowed in us a win. Crazy stuff. All right, so we had some really bold predictions, definitely led by the Megan Good CA Player of the Year choice. All right, what else? All right, so Twitter no prediction that's too bold for Megan Good. <laughs> that is true. Twitter questions. I think we're going to save Tyler Gregory's about men's soccer and all that good stuff for next week. Yes. Um, since we'll focus in on, on those. But let's start. We can start with at Duke Dog Nation sending in a question that said, with the new offensive playbook, do you think JMU will see offensive players in the top five stat categories again? Um, Jack, we can start with you. I really like this question because I remember watching – the offense last season get kind of stagnant and it seemed like they were running into the wall of 
the constant rhythm of run, run, pass, run, run, pass, punt. So with this question, I really enjoyed kind of thinking about what this offense can be. Maybe offense can kind of get that that spark that was there with Brian Shore and Ravenel and Khalid Abdullah and Stinney leading the way on the line. And then I kind of came back to earth and I realized that this coaching staff is very similar to past coaching staffs. However, I do believe that we'll see a running back in the top five stack category just because I, I believe that Percy is a go-to number one running back and is going to go down as one of the best running backs in the league. Granted, that does really come down to the offensive line more than his ability. But based on that, I think we'll see Percy get get up there in the top five stack category because Jamie will be so run. – they'll want to run the ball to win games and Jamie – I think we'll have a lot of leads in games, and Percy will be getting a lot of carries. I like that. Chase, what do you think about an, an individual offensive player getting in the top five of a national stat category? Uh, I think that, first of all, I agree with Jack that the coaching staff is probably going to have a pretty similar playbook. I don't expect massive changes in offensive philosophy or offensive play calling. I wouldn't be surprised if the new coaching staff went back and watched plays from the old coaching staff, wrote them down, charted them, and put them <laughs> Okay, so that, that's what I'm talking about when I say I think it's best. Uh, but I do, I think Percy is one of those lab-built running backs. Like, he, if you could design a good college running yes. back, well, you've seen the pictures. I see he's you he posted some pictures of his workout or what after his summer workout and he is built. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, and I think there are probably some JMU people who don't know how good he is just because we've been spoiled by how many running backs that are really good JMU has had, particularly the last two years with Carton. Trey and Marcus, and all, you know, it's just I felt bad for Percy because it was like, man, I know how good you are, and you can't even get on the field. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, so I, I do, I do think Percy top five in like gross rushing yards. I don't know about that. I could see him being top five in yards per carry. Yeah, I could see. Hamilton being top five in receiving yards for a running back. Yes. Yeah. I like yeah, both of those. To answer this question, you kind of have to ask, like, what stat categories, or you can be a little bit, uh, I guess, specific in what stat categories you pick. I think, like, Ben DiNucci, you could look at maybe, like, uh, completion percentage potentially, because I think they're going to do a lot of stuff underneath. Um, and then you can also look at maybe like passing efficiency because I think he was, you know, he was kind of up there last year until the Colgate game, sort of in the top 15 range um, in terms of passing efficiency. So I think Danucci in those categories and then, yeah, maybe a running back coming in there. But kind of a follow up on this do you guys think that Shane Montgomery has a secret playbook that he's going to open up later in the season? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> or do you think that that's just Tony Kirkpatrick, which he never revealed? Well, Donnie never opened it. Johnny knew that he wouldn't be at JMU after 2018, so he kept it hidden 
so that he could break it out at East Carolina. That's, there you go, breaking news. Man, I was really hoping that actually existed. Those are my favorite questions. Do you think they're going to open up the playbook? I think it's been open. I think, I think, I think the trap run and halfback dive from Madden is all we're going to see. We're going to keep running double screens. Oh my lord! (laughs) I'm having nightmares. Mark Aaron's, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. He said, "How do you think the West Virginia game compares to the last two previous FBS games?" Uh, with NC State and East Carolina. So, Chase, we'll start with you this time. How do you think this one compares? Well, first of all, Ben, I have to correct you because you said the last two FBS games, but then you only listed one FBS game. <laughs> <laughs> NC State. You mentioned East Carolina uh, erroneously. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think West Virginia is a top 25 program that is going to have a down year in 2019. I would say that, and this is a pretty wide chasm, so I don't know that it's saying much, but I think 2019 West Virginia is somewhere in between 2018 NC State and 2017 East Carolina. I know that doesn't mean much, but that's that's where it's at. Last year's NC State team was a top 40 Division One football team, and I don't see this West Virginia team being that good, but... The thing about West Virginia is they're always athletic and they're always offensively aggressive. So, definitely could never sleep on that team even when they're down. Awesome, Jack. What are your thoughts? Yeah, kind of the same thing. Like, I think NC State last season is is a better team than the West Virginia team we're going to see here in 2019. ECU doesn't count because an FCS team shouldn't obliterate an FBS team the way they did. So... It's not going to be anything like that ECU game. So comparing it more to NC State, I think it's going to be a very comparable game. I mean, it just—I mean, yeah, that's really all I can say. It's going to be similar. NC State is a better team, like Chase said, a top forty program, and West Virginia might not be to that level this season, but they'll be close. And I think just when it's a good FBS program against a good FCS program, it's going to be a good game. Yeah, I think one of the differences could be just that, like, go back and watch the NC State game last year. That was a pretty conservative game plan from both teams, yeah, was, right? There was a yes, lot of out all the way to the second half. I think this is going to be a much more bombs away kind of game. Definitely. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that this is probably going to be um, the most exciting, I think, to watch of those three games, if you want to include the other ones. Um, I'm hoping that West Virginia live stream will be better than the East Carolina ESPN three <laughs> So that's that's really my one hope there. I don't think there are really any similarities or many similarities between uh, this game and the ECU game. ECU was, was very terrible when JMU played them, and, and JMU was a really solid team coming off a great season. Um, NC State, like you guys said, they're a little bit better, I think, than West Virginia will be this year. I think this game is a, sort of a perfect middle ground for JMU. I think this is a winnable game. Um, not as winnable as the East Carolina game, but I think it's more winnable than the NC State game. And I think it carries the same sort of uh, prestige, if not maybe even more, yeah. if JMU is able to win this one. So I think that's a really interesting sort of scenario that JMU finds itself in where they could start the season, you know, you've got all the fans who are sort of like, not all the fans, but some fans clamoring when they see every little piece of news about like 
UConn and the AAC and all that stuff, where JMU could start the season with this huge national win over West Virginia in a game that is very much winnable. So I think that's sort of how it differs from the last two is it's extremely winnable and it's maybe not extremely, but it's definitely winnable. Mm -hmm. It's against a program that beating them would mean a ton to the fan base and just JMU football as a whole. Yeah. Great answer by me. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Best answer of the podcast. Way to finish. You really brought the heat on that answer, Bennett. I did. I'm proud of myself. I was saving (laughs) the last three minutes of this hour-long podcast. I don't know if I have anything else. I'm about, you know, once we finish this podcast, I'll think of things to say. Um, But right now, I think we've covered, we've covered a lot. I mean, is JMU overrated? ECU not being in the FBS? Really a little bit of everything. Mike Houston jumping to another FCS job. Interesting to see. I'm excited for this game, though. I think it's going to be a really fun Saturday. And Chase, I believe you will be at the game enjoying yourself. I will be at the game. I have fourth row tickets. I'm staying on a farm outside of Morgantown the night before. It's going to get so weird. (laughs) (laughs) Will there be some moonshine involved? There, uh, moonshine has been confirmed. Wow. Uh, firearms have been confirmed. Wow. It's, get, we're, I, I'm not exaggerating. We're, we're going to get real weird. I hope you make it to the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be looking for you in the fourth row on the uh, good old West Virginia live stream. Yeah, I think we'll be there. The most disappointing news of the last year is that the article about how to watch this game has gotten like the third most views out of everything we've written. Okay, I was going to say that as as we're on our the end of podcast random rambles. Oh, that's a nice little um, uh, uh, segment call. I, segment. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was looking the at the the site stats. Oh my lord, that how to watch article is absolutely destroying my week by week prediction. My week by week prediction has seventy nine views right now for the day. The <laughs> the how to watch has like eight hundred. There's nothing more disappointing <laughs> than working hard to analyze Jamie football and then putting something else together that basically explains what an internet connection is, like how to Google West Virginia sports, and people are like, that, that is the content I want. Well, it's, it's funny because people are Googling West Virginia how to watch game or like random yeah. things, <laughs> yeah, it's like and it's the search engine is take, which is good that we're, we're getting into search engines. But that's like we've gotten like 500 views off of people typing into Google how to watch game. It's pretty impressive. I don't want to brag too much, but we're a massive deal <laughs> overall. So uh, our following is at 835. So advertise with us. Yeah, yeah, we're willing to accept any money you're willing to throw our way. Um, ESPN Plus. I still have the dream of ESPN Plus <laughs> sponsoring us, but if they don't, Flow Sports, I guess. I guess we can yeah, set up the first part. I was like two months away from being sponsored by just Disney Bundle. Yeah, we're kind of hoping we get that. Just, you know, the whole Disney sponsorship. <laughs> if they're not willing to do it, then I guess maybe we'll like go down to like a Netflix or something. But we'll figure it out. 
have the intro you're welcome that's great well chase thank you for joining us on this initial pod hopefully we will become smoother as the year goes on hopefully anchor will start to cooperate with us or we will move on to another podcast app that will sponsor us actually anchor wants to sponsor us just saying Yes, I forgot how to wrap this up. How, how does it happen? Was it, uh, oh yeah, follow us. Um, well, first, Chase, do you want to plug any of your socials, anything like that? pretty good first weekend uh, i did i did um yeah very good first weekend <laughs> made a little money uh and uh i have a podcast called master of none it's available on itunes and spotify and pretty much anywhere else you can listen to podcasts and you should check that out because it's really good well, it's very good beautiful so to keep going with the plugs follow us at if you're not already i don't know how you found this podcast if you weren't following us but on Twitter at JMU Sports News. Um, what else? Our website, www.jmusportsnews.com. And our Facebook that we launched um, probably yes. 72 hours ago. So just yeah. uh, put in the search bar JMU Sports News and we should pop up. Be one of the first 100 people to like us. That'd mean a lot to us. And uh, give us five stars on iTunes, please. Thank yes. you. Well, for Bennett Conlin, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. Thank you to Chase Kitty for coming on from Hero Sports and a multitude of other things. Um, have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. See ya.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.